see everybody here. And uh, as Pastor Daniel said, if you're a visitor, this is not our normal setup. We, uh, but we're excited about having families join us today. One of the things we got feedback, positive feedback around baptism was just having our kids in here and, and worshiping with us and, and just participating. So we're going to do that today. And uh, we're going to have a lot of fun with it uh, with a pretty familiar story but um, about David and Goliath. But about a month ago, uh, we're back visiting my parents in uh, back east and um, went to a place. Has anybody ever been to Sight and Sound Theater, either in Lancaster, Pennsylvania or Branson? Okay, some people have. Well, we got to go to Lancaster and see uh, a theater production of The Life of David. And so, and this is like a Broadway show, man. There's real animals running down the aisles. It's, it's pretty crazy. But it was such a quality production that it got me thinking about just the life of David. And so it made me open my Bible in 1 Samuel and we're, you know, introduced to to David in 1 Samuel 16, but it has had me this past month just reading the life of David. And um, today I want to talk to you a little bit about leading up to 1 Samuel 17, which is, again, a very familiar story of David and Goliath, but I think you'll also hopefully get some things out of it. So I want this to kind of be a kind of an interactive service. This will kind of be, you know, giving me uh, some answers and feedback on things, help me tell the story. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Samuel 17, or if you have your phone, open it up and go to 1 Samuel 17. And I want you to begin to think about um, a question today we're going to talk about, and that's how much are you worth How much are you worth? So in our society, and I think about that for some of the kids that are in here, when I began to think about my worth, uh, one of the things I think it was, I don't know who decided to do this, but you remember the days when you were picking up teams to play basketball or football or some sport, and they, you know, would pick teams. And you're like, um, especially... um, I had some older cousins, so when we would pick teams to play basketball, guess who was picked last? Moi, me. And so, you know, when I think about worth, what do we, what do we put, how, do we, how does our world define and weight worth? So I think about that as a little kid. I got picked last, and they kind of don't even pick you. They just say, eh, you guys got Dave, you know? <laughs> so, so it didn't do much for your worth. But then I think as you, as you get older and you think about, well, then it may be my GPA, you know, how well I'm doing in school. Here we just ended school year, so we had a lot of awards assemblies and how many times you got to go up on stage and get an award. Um, or you think about worth and you think, um, you know, different things as we've gone to a lot of graduation parties here in the past couple of weeks and you say, hey, what are you doing after college? Where'd you go? Where are you going to, or after high school, what are you doing? Are you going to college? You know, and so you, you have that uh, thing about worth there. Where am I going? What am I doing with my life? That type of thing. And then you can even as a child and as a student get really, get your worth sometimes by how much your parents praise you and, and say how good you are, you know? But even nowadays, there's so much pressure in our identity and worth in, in our day and age with social media. You know, how many friends do you have when I post something out there? How many likes do I get? So we get this whole world concept of what are you worth? And a lot of times it's based upon some of those things. 
So even as adults, you know, as we come into adulthood, you think about, well, what's my job? Uh, how many zeros are about around, behind the salary that I make? Um, you think about how popular I am when I go to a party or, or um, you go to different things that, that give you value. In our adult world, too, you're, you're like um, on social media and how many friends and likes do you have? And we start equating our worth with what the world, you know, what car are you driving? Uh, how many square feet is your house? Where's your house at? And you get all these things that, quote, we compare to each other and it's supposed to build our worth. So just thinking about even these past, it's funny, this past month or so, I do a little accounting and taxes on the side and I've had a number of clients that had to do a personal financial statement. So those of you that have an accounting background or have ever taken an accounting class, you know, you have to work up, okay, I've got these assets and you have these debts or liabilities. And then what's that assets minus liabilities equals what? Your net worth. And it kind of just hit me in the face doing these for some clients is, you know, a lot of times that's how we equate our worth is a financial in our financial word, world about being net worth. Well, what I want to go through with you today is kind of look at David's life because as he comes up and as I watch this play on the life of David and he gets to 1 Samuel 17, he's got an amazing worth an amazing identity of who he is. And it's not based upon what the world would say, this is, this is worthy or this is valuable. He bases it upon alone, his relationship with God. And you get to 1 Samuel 17 and you get to this story that's familiar to a lot of us between David and Goliath and you have to step back and say, what got this guy such worth and confidence that he could face Goliath? So I want to kind of do something to kind of depict that and give you a little visual of that. So I'm going to ask Reed Derrick, if you know Reed, I'm going to ask Reed to come up. And Reed's going to play David for, for us today. So, um, so Reed's going to come over here. And so, Reed, how old are you now? Uh, 21. 21. So I would say, I mean, a lot of times you see in these... Um, you know, children's books or whatever, that David was a little kid and he's facing Goliath. I, I mean, when you see some of the things you read in 1 Samuel 17, I would say David's probably at least 16, 18, maybe 20 at this point. Why? One of the things that kind of hit me this week is you also see in, in children's books that David says he's going to go out and fight Goliath. And so Saul gives him his armor. And you always have a picture of this heavy, long armor on David that he can't, well, it doesn't say that David can't wear the armor. It says, I'm not used to using it in military battle. Big difference. So I think David was probably at least 18 years old at this point. And what's, how's it described David in 1 Samuel 17? It also says it in 16 when we get first in. Anybody have a couple words that it uh, describes him? Red hair. Red hair. Why, what was the actual word? Ruddy. Okay, that's good. It's for those of you that have red hair, it ought to be an encouragement today that um, ruddy, he, he, it says that David was ruddy, also calls Esau ruddy. So we always think in the Bible that David could have been a redhead, you know, whatever, what else does it say he is? Handsome, right? Yes, handsome. So that's why I really picked Reed here, you know, he's a handsome guy, you know, he has the long hair, got a little beard going, you know, so, um, so David um, comes on the scene here and we see um, just a very 
confident and identity guy. What else? Um, I've got some props here to look at. Okay, here it is. So what else do we know about David? He was a shepherd, right? So David's, what else do we know in the, in the placement of David and his family? What, what, what is he? Is he the oldest, middle, or youngest? Youngest. Is that good in Jewish culture? No. So here you got a guy showing up on the scene in 1 Samuel 17, and he has a lot against him, right? He's the youngest, which is not good. In fact, we, we'll talk a little bit about his, his relationship with his oldest brother, Eliab, a, a little bit later. He's, um, you know, and, and so he's, he's um, you know, the youngest in his family, and he's a shepherd. What do we know about the shepherd occupation in the Bible? Pretty high-class job? No, it wasn't a very high-class job. So you see this, that David shows up on the scene, and he doesn't really, from an outward, worldly standpoint, he's not from royalty, he's a shepherd, he's the youngest in the family, so he has no rights from a Jewish culture standpoint. But here he shows up with a lot of worth, and he has a lot of confidence, and he has a lot of identity. Um, So just thinking about that, when you see David being like that, Think about what got him to 1 Samuel 17 that would give him that. Well, one, one thing you can do, flip over in your Bibles to Psalm 23. Very familiar psalm to a lot of us, right? For the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So give me some feedback on what's that say about David and where he gets his value. Maybe in the first phrase, right? The Lord is my shepherd. What's he say? I shall not want. In other words, you see a contentment from David that he really gets everything he needs from God. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. So there's a whole kind of, um, I know God is going to take care of me. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So... You see David writing this psalm, and he's a shepherd, but he looks at and said, God is really providing all of those things for me. And you look at that, and there's even a verse, uh, one of the psalms, one of the biggest, largest psalms that he writes, uh, Psalm 139, he writes this. For you created my innermost parts, you wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you because I am awesomely and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it well. So you see that David knew he had value just because of his connection with God. He had no worldly value. He was a shepherd. He was the last in the family. The only thing he had is he was handsome at least, you know, and he was a redhead. So, um, but, so, but you see that David started, and, and you look at his life, and what, what you have to believe is that time that he is out there until he gets 1 Samuel 17, he developed a really deep relationship with God. 
right? I mean, because you see how strong he is when he comes to 1 Samuel 17. And you see he has spent some quality time with God. What else do we know about David reading the Psalms? He loves the scriptures. He relies on God's word. So he gets to knowing God's word. What else do we know about David that he's really good at? Music, right? Music. The man, he can play the harp. And in the, in the theater production, they did a great job just showing his personal time, his personal relationship with God and reading his word and worshiping him and continually relying on him. It strengthened his relationship. It strengthened his worth, even though the whole world would say, you're not worth anything. David arrives on the scene in 1 Samuel 17 with a good value and a good of who he is. So keep that in mind. And let's uh, talk about Goliath a little bit. I want to ask, where's Jason at? Jason Clark's going to come up. Um, if you haven't met Jason, um, he's my administrative assistant is his wife, Whitney. So Whitney's been on staff now. I forget how long, but she didn't, Jason didn't know when you hire a staff person, Whitney, that he would be voluntold for a lot of things. And he's being voluntold today. So this is Jason Clark. I appreciate Jason doing this. Um, and so let's talk a little bit about Goliath. So a um, couple things I have here. Um, where's the, okay. I need a helper though, too. I need so one kid want to help up here. Okay. Is it Lila? Lila, come up here. So I need a helper here. Lila, um, I got this from Paul Chabay. Is Paul in here? Paul's a big workout guy. Um, I don't know if he's here. But Lila, this is a workout vest. Lila, give that to Jason. Can you do that? This is 40 pounds. Right here, Jason. Can you give that to him? So, so that's 40 pounds. And slip that over you. So it says, if you read 1 Samuel 17, that this armor... That, Jace, or that Goliath had was actually three times this. It was actually 126 pounds that Goliath wore in armor, okay? So um, I'm not going to make you wear that for the next 20 minutes. Um, so you can take that off. But I want to give you a picture of that. So, uh, but what we know is, Lila, you want to give that to Jason, put that over his See if you can help him get that over his head. So we know biblically this armor that I just putting on him this it's called a, a brass bless, a br- brass breastplate weighed 100, 120 pounds so we know he has that on his body um, I won't make you take your shoes off we give that we know that what they what do they say in first Samuel they're greaves greaves are actually shin guards so you don't have to take your shoes off but just so the whole picture here is of Goliath and then here's his helmet if you want to get that on and not mess your glasses up. Safety glasses. Safety glasses. So biblically, and you've seen pictures of this, that Goliath is pretty covered with things, and he's a huge guy. And one thing we know, and maybe, Lila, you can stay up here, it says that he has an armor bearer. Come over here, Lila, and stand beside Goliath. So it says he's an armor bearer, and the armor bearer, one of his chief things he did was keep the shield by Goliath. So the armor bearer stays there. And, um, but I, I think you got to get one, one thing I didn't like about the theater presentation of David is they use these robots to depict Goliath. And I just think you got to get a good feel for how big Goliath was. 
So take that, Jay. You can take those shin guards off. But here's a tape measure. And Lila, can you hold this? Let Jason get up. You, you want to turn it around? Because first service, we almost had a catastrophe. Um, so Lila, come over here. And I want you to hold it. You can put this down for the, hold that down. And Jason's going to go up. It says that Goliath was nine feet, nine inches tall. So do you realize how big that is? Keep, no. Are you nine feet nine yet? About right there. So just get a picture of this to really look at what David walks into and how big this guy is at nine feet nine. He's wearing, um, he's wearing, you know, a breastplate, wearing armor that's worth about 120 pounds, and he has three things that he has. You can get down. Our liability insurance isn't that good. Um, so just come down there and just come over on the other side. So he, it says in the Bible that he has three weapons. He has a spear, he has a javelin, and then, you know, he also has a sword that's later used by David. So he has, and this is nice, Anthony McCann gave me this. So he has a sword that, you know, eventually we'll see the sword used all through 1 Samuel, actually. So he has a sword. And so we know from the story that Goliath comes out 40 days Every day, it says in the Bible that you have the Philistine army that comes in and they're in, um, what's the name of Soka? I need my notes. Soka? And that's in Judah. So the Philistine army just invaded into Judah. And that's why Saul calls every able bodied person. That's why the top three brothers of David's uh, dads, Jesse, their family, were, um, you know, military eligible. So they come to the Valley of Elah, and every, for 40 straight days, Goliath comes out, and he challenges the, the army of Israel and says, hey, send out your best warrior, and let's just have one fight between me and the warrior. Whoever wins, the loser becomes their servants. Now, that happened a lot in biblical times when people, you know, fought against each other. Usually, um, they would become servants, but a lot of times, they would say that's the gods telling us who's really supposed to win. And we see that after the battle because the Philistines run and the children of Israel, uh, the army of Israel chase them. So, um, you have this part where he comes out, and it's interesting in the Bible, look in 1 Samuel um, 17, they only name Goliath two times, actually use his name, and then other than that, they call him the Philistine 27 times. So they never really, it's interesting, just Hebrew scripture that they don't want to really name him, but 40 days he comes out, 40 days he makes this challenge, and no one responds from the children of Israel, or the army of Israel. Saul, David's older brother, Eliab, nobody takes the challenge. So then we're back to David. So David shows up. His dad, Jesse, says, hey, your brothers have been gone 40 days, at least 40 days. Where are they at, you know? And, and could you go take some food and kind of find out what's going on in the battlefield? So, you know, the Valley of Elah, they said it's about, I think I said this, 12 miles from Bethlehem. So um, David gets his stuff, goes to um, the Valley of Elah, and he hears, you know, what Goliath says on the first day. And so David's like shocked, 
And he kind of makes a statement, well, what, 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 what happens to the guy that fights this guy? So there are some personal things he gets. He, um, he doesn't have to pay taxes the rest of his life. Wouldn't we all like that? Um, and then he uh, also gets to marry um, Saul's daughter, which I guess she was good looking, hopefully. Um, and, then, and then thirdly, he, he was, you know, made royalty, really. But that really, when you look at that verse where he asked that, he also really is upset that Goliath is defying the armies of Israel. That's what really gets him upset. And so um, David asked that, and, and it's interesting, when you have your worth from God like David did, there's always going to be people in your ear that says you're not really that good, you're not that worthy. Uh, even though God tells you you're worthy, there's going to be people that, that say you're not. And we see that with David's older brother, Eliab. Uh, Eliab says, what are you doing here? You're just looking for fame or you're, do, you're not here for the right reasons. Get, get out of here. And we know that may have been because Eliab, the chapter before, Samuel goes to Bethlehem to anoint kind of secretly the next king. And Jesse brings all seven sons in front of him. You remember the story, Eliab is the oldest and he's, he looks like, and Samuel says, this got to be the guy, God, right? This is, this is who's supposed to be the next. And God makes a statement that says, hey, don't look at the outward appearance. I look at the heart. And Eliab gets passed over. And you know the story. All seven go in front of him. God says, Samuel, it's not him. And they bring David in out of the shepherd fields and anoint David as the next king. So we have Eliab at, at, the, at the battlefield saying, David, you know, what are you doing here? Why, you can't do this. Who's the other person that kind of speaks into David's ear that he can't do this? It's Saul, right? King Saul. So Saul looks at David and says, you're but a youth. This guy has fought in battles since his youth, you know? So he speaks into him. We talked about it. He gives him his, gives him his um, um, armor. It doesn't fit. And David... David uses then history, right? Because what does he say twice when you look in 1 Samuel 17 that he's done before that gives him the confidence that he can do this and kill Goliath? He mentions two animals. The bear, the, right? He said, I've killed a bear and a lion. And he mentions it really when he's talking to Saul, he mentions it twice. Because he says, I want to go back to the history that I've seen God do things, not of my own might, but God has delivered me. And so he tells David that. And then we know, um, you know, David has a sling. So I think um, we bought a $10 sling at Amazon. So... David has this sling, and I bought a $9 pouch, which wouldn't fit five smooth stones. We know David gets five smooth stones. But, and you got to understand, a sling back then was used as a military weapon. Like, if you look back, I think it's Judges 16, it makes a statement that, like, 700, Benjamite, 700 left-handed Benjamites could do a sling and take a rock and hit a, a hair about so many meters away. I mean, so... It wasn't odd for a sling to be used in battle, but again, David had spent some time, and that's what he knew he could use. So David uses his sling, and he picks up, you know, five smooth stones, and there's always a theological debate is saying, why do you need five? Why did he have faith just for one? I, I don't know. I don't know why he needed five, but he, he got five stones, um, 
And, but, you know, there's debate, why did you only get one? You only need one, but that's the pessimistic people that always want to bring that up. So he gets five. I'm not going to have him put that in there for all, all our sakes. But he gets five smooth stones. And then he comes on the scene and the battle happens. Now, this is really interesting when you get to, um, you know, verses 43 and 44 and, and so forth. So anytime there was a battle, there were speeches made. So Goliath talks first in verse 43 and 44. And it's interesting. He again curses David. He's saying, what do you mean? You're embarrassing me. Bring this little kid out or this youth out to fight me. And he starts cursing them by their gods. Okay. So look, 43 and 44 in Hebrew, there's actually 36 words that Goliath uses. But when you get to 45 through 47, and if you look at that, there's 63 words. And here's what David says to Goliath. Again, he doesn't call him by his name. He said, David, then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. In other words, Yahweh is that word that he uses. The God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted, this day the Lord, Yahweh, will deliver you up into my hands, and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. And I will give you the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all of this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by the sword or by spears, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. So David's speech and his, and his uh, uh, message to Goliath is, and how many times can you count how many times he uses the word Lord or the God of Israel? About nine or ten times he makes it very emphatic. that, And he really brings it out that, hey, um, this isn't about me and my abilities. And he said, when this miracle happens, all of the assembly, all of Israel, all of the Philistines will know that there's a God in Israel. And you think about that when you think about miracles that God does. Why does God do miracles? To glorify himself, not so we can get any glory at all. David wants to make it plain for sure that this is happening and I'm going to defeat Goliath only by God's strength. So a lot of biblical scholars say that this really gets Goliath angry because it's kind of, um, you know, it's kind of like, you know, he's trash talking uh, Goliath, you know, and it's like um, Goliath gets upset because, okay, you're going you're gonna to defeat me and, and he gets so emphatic that many believe that Goliath got angry and he starts going toward David, but you know, it doesn't say anything. He leaves his armor bearer behind. A lot of biblical scholars do. Well, why would it be good to have a shield in this instance? The guy's going to throw a rock at you, right? Um, and also, a lot of people say, you know, he probably was so upset, you know, he may have had something to go over his whole head, but he didn't do that. He left himself exposed. So a lot of people think David was a real military strategist, or strategist, I should say, that he knew what he was doing to get Goliath upset. So he leaves his shield. And he comes toward David. And again, you know, you got a nine foot nine guy wearing 125 pound armor. He, he, he's going to move a lot slower. It says David ran quickly toward him. 
And so you see that he takes that sling and he knows what he's doing with it and he lets go of the sling, be easy. And where does it say it hits Goliath? Right in the forehead. And Goliath goes down. It's like the old Howard Cursell. If Howard Cursell was going to announce this, he says, down goes Frazier. You know, that down goes Goliath. You have to be old like me to understand that. Um, so here you go. And, and we understand what happens after that is the armies of Israel um, are so excited. And the Philistine army um, just flees. And the army of Israel um, attacks them and goes after them. And it says it's interesting because it, it goes all the way back. They, they took them out of Judah and took them and, and, and um, chased them all the way back into the Philistine territory, all the way back to a city named Gath. Guess where so- or Goliath was from? He's from Gath. So David's prophecy that says, hey, the whole assembly here is going to understand who God is and the power he has and gonna, who really is the victory. It went back to, to Goliath's hometown of Gath. So you see the amazing thing that, and, and how David approached this as he's not the one doing this. This is God and God alone. So I appreciate you guys. Can you guys get everybody and a hand here for doing this? And you guys can take that stuff off. Thanks, Lilia. Thank you. Yeah, you can go. I appreciate Reed and Jason doing that. They knew Lily. I had no idea I was going to call her up. So I appreciate that. So let me think about, as you think about applying this to our daily lives, you know, again, I hope you've gotten a picture that David was prepared for 1 Samuel 17. When he gets there and he gets ready to go against Goliath, he had a strong relationship with God that prepared him for this day. And so just thinking about that, you know, where do you, as we talked at the beginning, where do you get your worth? Where do you get your value? Is it based upon what the world would say is valuable, the the, um, you know, what rank you are in your class, um, what uh, trophies you've gotten, what money you make, what car you drive, um, how popular, popular you are. All those things never satisfy because how many of you get a new car and the next week you're like, wow, that's a nice car too. You know what I mean? How many of us have that? And, and what the world offers is that will give you your worth, but there's always ends up being a hole in your heart that isn't filled. Well, David realized what really could give him his true self-worth, and that was a relationship with God. So fast forward a thousand years, and someone comes out of David's family, the lineage of David, that comes and gives us a permanent self-worth. And that's Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ comes to this earth, and if you look at this verse, this verse probably sums it up the best in Romans 5, 8. If you look at it, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So a thousand years later, God says, I'm going to give you a, a worth that will be a permanent thing that I can give you worth and the only worth you're going to be able to hold on to no matter what you go through is what Jesus did on the cross 
um, to pay his price for our sin. That's how much God loves us. It's not something we can achieve or do. It's only through what Jesus did on the cross. So my challenge to you, to you today is if um, you've been struggling with your self-worth and your value, and you've never made that decision to truly put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ because God loved you so much that he sent his son Jesus to give you that ultimate permanent value that no matter what the world says, I'm valuable to God because he loved me so much he sent his son Jesus to die for me. And maybe you've stepped across that line and you've accepted Christ, but I think we live in a culture and a society that continually tries to attract us and get us to go after and value other things. And maybe you're here like, you know, I have to do continually in my life and do some disciplines that keep my relationship with God so I'm not attracted and I don't put my value on the car I drive, uh, what, what, uh, how much money I make, my popularity. I really put my value on God and God alone through what Jesus did for me. And that's just a constant thing you have to keep in your mind. See, David's life didn't get all rosy after this. I mean, he won some more battles, but if you think about it, they think about 15 years between when David was anointed that he became king. And if you know the story, after this, Saul gets upset, of it, upset at him and tries to kill David, and he's a renegade for the next 10 to 12 years. And you see some of the Psalms David's lamenting in the Psalms is, um, uh, I've had great victories but he talks to God about what is going on, but he always goes back to the foundation that I know God loves me. I know I have a value. I know he has a plan. But for 12 years, he's running as a renegade, living in caves, um, you know, just trying to survive with these band of brothers that he meets. So not saying it's going to be perfect, but David continually in the Psalms comes back to his foundation and his value. His value is because of God and God alone. So my challenge today is if you don't have that value that, that only um, God gives you through a relationship with Jesus Christ, you can do that today. You can make that decision. And if you've made that decision but you get, keep getting pulled in with what the world says is valuable, you know, that's the things to do that David did and, and continuing God's word and, and build that relationship with him. So let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. And while everybody's eyes are closed and, and uh, heads are bowed, let me just ask you, um, is there someone here today that would say, you know, Dave, I've never, I've never given my life and accepted what God's love for me that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for my sins. I don't have that permanent worth because I've always relied on what the world says and what the world does sometimes even negatively to tear down my self-worth. And I've never really given my life to Christ. And, and you just want to slip up your hand. I want to pray for you as we leave. Anybody in here that's never done that, has never given their lives to Jesus, pray for them. And then let me pray for us as Christ followers that we would find our worth in, in, in Jesus and in God alone. All right, let's pray in a word of prayer. Father God, we do thank you for this story um, and especially as we looked at it today as a familiar story, but understanding 
um, how valuable we are in you, how we're worth so much because of your love for us, that you sent Jesus Christ to die on a cross for our sins. And David knew that. David grabbed hold of that value and held on to it. No matter what everybody else said in the world of what value was, David got his value through his relationship with you. Lord, we just pray as Christ followers that you would give us um, just the wisdom and the guidance, the relationship with you to be in your word, to, to, to uh, worship you through music, through um, just praising you and giving you glory for when you, for when you do things in our lives that, that are miraculous, Lord. We just pray that we would always keep that conscious and, and ahead of us, Lord. And so I just pray that, you know, we know things in this world try to get us off that base, Lord. We just pray that we would continually come back and build our relationship with you. And again, we just thank you for our time together. Thank you for the opportunity to look at this story in just a little different way and to have our families here to look at it together. And we just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, one thing we wanted to do for your families is um, we put some questions. There's a QR code going to come up that um, I think this is good to have some family discussion. And I would encourage you as families to talk a little bit with your family, with your kids and your students about where do you get your value and have some good conversations about that. Talk a little bit about did you learn anything like that. This is also on our website. But um, just I think good family and parents, be be authentic. Be, you know, share your own um, temptations with what the world says is valuable and share how you struggle with things sometimes and, and need to come back to where you get your value in God and God alone. All right? All right, let's stand. And um, let me pray. One thing, I know this is uh, tomorrow's Memorial Day. So um, I don't know about you, but I guess the war in Ukraine has given me a whole different, I guess, appreciation of the men and women that have given their lives for our country. You know, I think um, we get reports from um, Kirk and Violetta over in Romania, and they bring these moms and kids across the border from Ukraine into Romania and you see a lot of times the moms put them with relatives and the mom heads back to be with the husband that has gone off to war. And so I don't know about you, but that just, I don't know, lately I've just been thinking about the men and women that have sacrificed for our country and given their lives for our country. So, you know, you may be getting with family and friends today or tomorrow, but I would encourage you to step back and think about that and think about the sacrifice we have for our freedoms that we do, and make sure you give, give um, and pray and thank God for those freedoms that we do, all right? So let me close in prayer. Uh, Father God, we thank you um, for this weekend and for tomorrow being Memorial Day, and um, Lord, it's something we never want to take for granted is the sacrifice that many before us have given and are still giving, Lord, that um, men and women that have lost their lives defending and supporting.